Hello and welcome to another episode of the Football History Boys podcast with me, Ben Jones, and as always, Gareth Thomas. Good afternoon. Thank you very much. Okay then, today's show we're going to be thinking of the world game. Of course, when we're thinking of football these days, we can often get too focused on European football or South American football, but there is a whole world out there and it has given us some of the greatest players, the greatest teams, the greatest stories of all time. So we asked on Twitter uh, for our followers to come up with their top five or five-a-side sides, which each included a player from each of the confederations of the world. So we have, what, I'll ask you, Gareth, what are the confederations we can choose from? So we had Europe or UEFA, uh, South America, Commonwealth, Asia with the AFC, Africa with, the, with CAF, uh, Oceania with the OFC and North America with CONCACAF and we needed you to pick a goalkeeper, one defender, two midfielders, a striker and a manager as Ben said with just one player from each confederation and we're going to go through our sides now and we're going to have a look at some of the ones that you've sent in on Twitter and on Facebook too. Okay so Drew, should we start with the goalkeeper then? I've gone for Claudio Tafaral who was the Brazilian goalkeeper in the 1990s, um, incredible player. Brazil, not uh, known for its goalkeepers really, but this goalkeeper was one who's uh, incredibly famous and a, a bit of an idol for Brazilian goalkeepers of the modern day. I think Alisson saying Tafarel was a player he looked up to when he was playing. Um, so that's my first pick. He's from uh, obviously from Conmebol. Um, so I've used that confederation. I was going to use it later on, but I've decided to use as my goalkeeper. He played over 300 games at league level. He played over 100 times for Brazil. He won the 94 World Cup. He was runner-up in 98. He won two Copa Americas as well um, and, a few other, and a few other tournaments. He got a silver medal at the Olympics. So he's a player who achieved it all at international level. He's a goalkeeper in the 90s, which is quite big because Brazilian football, after the, the exit in 82, when they played the most beautiful football, they had to change a lot of what they did. So the goalkeepers became one of the most pivotal positions for them. And Tafarel really did exemplify that change in uh, change in ideology. Uh, who have you chosen? I've gone for, and, and yeah, just another key rule that we said, it can be men and women. I've gone for probably one of the greatest women's goalkeepers of all time. I've gone for Hope Solo from the USA. Mm. CONCACAF, sure. 202 caps. That's staggering, isn't it? 202 international caps. That's um, two Olympic gold medals. Won the Women's World Cup in 2015, the runner-up in 2011. She won um, Golden Glove at both of those, best goalkeeper. She was in the All-Star team in both of those. Interestingly, in 2011, she won the bronze ball, the third best player in the tournament. She's a goalkeeper, which is an incredible stat, really, because goalkeepers don't normally get recognised in that way. Um, mm. Won the She Believes Cup, won the, the Women's Gold Cup in 2006, 2014. Uh, just a, an incredible goalkeeper, really stretched that whole span um, of, of American dominance really isn't it that, that have been the 2000 and the 2010s yeah she's one of those players that um, she, she's she gone beyond the sport really isn't she she's known known by a lot of people even if they're not necessarily into football or women's football they know about Hope Solo she's a, yeah, an incredible player and an incredible figure in that in that squad and obviously 
their dominance of the recent years is, you know, a lot of it's down to a, a strong goalkeeper. So there we go. Yeah. Good choice. Do you want to give us your defender first? Okay. Uh, so I, I sort of, I've made a thing that I'm not, basically this is a disclaimer, I'm not picking Messi. So I'm not going to pick the obvious then, if you will. I've yeah. the same, yeah. I, you know, because it'd be very easy just to pick Messi and, and, and the best players who've ever nest, you know, maybe played the game. So I thought I'm going to mix it up a little bit. Maybe it's a five-a-side side rather than an 11. And so I've gone for um, one of my favourite Brazilian defenders of all time certainly in my lifetime um, Lucio I love Lucio mm, really sure. really big fan of Lucio uh, 105 caps for Brazil 4 goals he won 3 Bundesliga he won a Serie A he won a Champions League uh, and of course where I remember him really my first World Cup we've said before 2002 um, he was a colossus in that side that won the uh, World Cup he also won the Confederations Cup which of course is a confederation tournament I guess this isn't it and he has won that tournament twice yeah. so um, in that way he, he he fits but also you know he's just a commanding centre-back but also you know that Brazilian way comfortable with the ball at his feet as well so he, he's not just a, a sort of a sort of hoof it away he can play with it as well I thought you were going to go for Roque Jr <laughs> he's always he's always good on pointless actually Roque Jr he was a pointless answer the other day on uh, pointless was he? Yeah. Uh, but Alicia was a great player. Um, he's one of the first players to really break my heart. Um, 2002 Champions League, Liverpool got to the quarterfinals and uh, gets by a Leverkusen and he um, he scored the winner to knock us out in, in like one of the in like the last minute. Um, and we would have gone on to play Man United in the semis if, if we'd won that. But yeah, he remember him breaking my heart as a, as a child and being upset. But he's a player who's to score some massive goals as well as yeah. Being such a good defender, I think in the Confederations Cup he scored a few massive goals, and uh, obviously on Inter Milan side, which won it all with Mourinho, he was uh, a bit of a colossus at the back with Walter Samuel, another uh, common common player. Yeah. Uh, my defender, I've gone for the classic, gone for Paolo Maldini. I've used up my UEFA uh, player there, so not much needs to be said about Maldini. I think uh, he's one of the players that a lot of people will pick. Won it all at club level. Um, didn't quite do it at international level. He came close a few times, got to the World Cup final. But yeah, incredible player. Um, play left back, play centre back. So I think in a five side team, he's going to be really handy because he's, he's, he can move about. He can play on the right, play on the left, play in the middle. Lovely. Actually, he might be a bit, bit too big and big and tall for the uh, for the five side. He might get <laughs> run around quite quick because he's quite slow. Yeah, big fan of Maldini. I mean, who doesn't? I think he's just he just oozes quality, doesn't he? In class. Everyone loves Maldini. Yeah. Okay, who are your midfield pairing then? Well, my first midfielder uh, used at my OFC because he was playing. He played more in the OF in the OFC, so it's Australia's Harry Kuehl. Um Of course, you could argue he's BAFC because Australia these days play in the Asian Confederation. But I think when he was making his name uh, at his height, he was definitely playing in the Aust- Australasian qualification. Um, so yeah, Harry Kuehl, what a player he was. He uh, definitely one of the first Australian superstars of football. I remember when we were growing up, he was one of the best players in the Premier League for Leeds first, and then obviously moved to Liverpool. But yeah, he was just a great player, he was a great winger. That he's a bit of a classic winger. He wasn't necessarily the fastest player, but he was he had a lot of technical ability, a great cross on him, and he could score quite a lot of goals. So yeah, got Harry Kuehl, just, just a fantastic player, and a player who really put Australian football on the map. Okay, I've gone for. I'll, I'll I'll get in my Australian then as well. Um, however, I am using him for the OFC, even though probably I mean he's sort of half and half. I think he played partly in Asian and then 
um, partly before they moved over in the, the Oceania Federation as well. But uh, I've gone for Tim Cahill. Um, yeah. Just think I need a bit of steel in that midfield. He was no nonsense. Uh, 108 caps for Australia, 50 goals. Incredible, really, for a, a centre midfielder. Um, obviously, Millwall and Everton is where we saw him in the in England, but he played across uh, you know, New York Red Bulls. He played a couple of times in China for various clubs. He played back home in Melbourne and then came back to uh, Millwall, came back to play in Britain again. Um, but I thought he needs to play alongside someone who is then going to be incredibly creative. And so I've gone for my other midfield partner of him, one of my favourite African players of all time, JJ Okocha. Oh, yeah, nice. Nigerian legend, Premier League legend. Everyone loved Okocha, played with a smile on his face. Um, just class, wasn't he? Oozed class. Uh, for, so from CAF, obviously from Africa, uh, 73 caps, 14 goals for Nigeria. Bolton really was where he found fame. I mean, that's where we got to know him well. But obviously, you know, he's had an established career across the world, really. Uh, won the African Cup of Nations in 1994, runner-up in 2000, and third place in 2002, 2004, 2006. And, of course, I think probably most famously, uh, Olympic gold medalist, wasn't it, in 1996. So um, that side, really, with Olcocher in, I love that he, he's just, he was so good, wasn't he? His, his skill, his trickery. Yeah. I think he'd be superb in my five-a-side team alongside Tim Cahill. Yeah, I was a massive fan of JJ Kocher. That that Bolton side, which used to sign a few legends, wasn't it? I think Sam Allardyce, you've got Hierro from uh, Real Madrid legend in there as well. And yeah. you had Mario Jardel. Um, but yeah, he was great. He was such, such a good player. player. Like you say, playing with a smile on his face. I've gone for, um, you like this one, I've gone for Junichi Inamoto. Oh, love it. Pans. Yeah, that's my AFC uh, player used up. Cardiff City Loney, yes. 2004 to 2005. Yes. So there we are. I remember him quite well because the 2002 World Cup was uh, was probably the tournament that me and you remember the most, like the first tournament we remember. Yeah. Obviously played in Japan and South Korea. Japan hadn't really done much in terms of world football before that, neither was South Korea, to be honest. But yeah, he they had this, this squad, it was quite a young squad, and he was the, the main man for that team. I remember watching him scoring the goals in the World Cup and he, he was massive. He, obviously, the Japanese fans loved him as well um, and he helped propel that uh, Japanese squad into the to knockout rounds against the odds. Um, he went, moved to Arsenal in the early 2000s on loan, I think. He, I think he played a few cup games there. So having a, a Japanese player in the Premier League for a little bit as well was obviously massive. Um, but he was just a good player. He was just a great player to watch. Um Quite small, quite diminutive, but you know, technically again, very gifted. And I think alongside Harry Kuhl in midfield, that's going to be a good five-a-side midfield. I think I'm thinking very practical and practically with my team. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. You've got to balance it. You've got to balance it, haven't you? Yeah, I think a Kocha though would be absolutely stunning in five-a-side. Oh, can you imagine him? Can you imagine him down? You know, down Galway, what we've got in uh, in Cardiff. <laughs> Um, yeah, ridiculous. I mean, th- this is this is why we did it, really, because it's good to appreciate players from outside of our shores, isn't it? I think we're very sometimes Eurocentric. Of course, that's where we watch most of our football, but it's good to think about players from across the world. And so, I again, I've not gone Europe for my striker. I've gone for someone who is my favourite sort of Asian player at the moment. He's Song Hot Song Hyung Ming, who uh, of course is playing for Tottenham at the oh, moment. Yeah. Song is so good, like so good. I'm a big fantasy fan. You know that I play an awful lot of fantasy football, and Song is so good for that. And obviously, he's uh, come back from 
uh, military service recently. He's done his military service, or he did a few weeks of that, didn't he, during the coronavirus? Did very but, well. Yeah, he did. I think he came top of the class, apparently. But what a player Song is. I mean, he's so good for Tottenham. And then when they brought him in, you know, it was a bit like, oh, how is he going to do? He came from Germany, didn't he? Thinking, how is he going to adapt to the Premier League? But he has been alongside, you know, Kane, who who has had his injury problems over the last couple of years. Song really at times has held Tottenham together, hasn't he? And when they've needed that guy to, to pray, pop up. Full of energy, find a goal. Song's been that man. So for me, I'm a big, big fan of Song. Um, and so I think, you know, again, energy of five aside, Storm in the Premier League. Again, got te- good technical ability as well. I think he'd be good uh, up top alongside uh, or working alongside people like JJ Okocha. Excellent. So you've only got UEFA left. Yeah, so my manager. I still have Africa and CONCACAF. So Africa and North America is what I've got left. Okay, my striker as an African striker, can you guess who it is? Samietto? Or did he no. drop her? No, I was thinking of Eto, but I didn't go for him. Go on, one more guess. Drogba? Incorrect. I've gone for something a bit closer to my heart. I've gone for Mo Salah. You've got to get him in there. Yeah. Egypt's finest. African player of the year. Uh, not last year, the year before. Liverpool actually very good with the African players recently because they've had the last two African players of the year with um, Sadio Mane as well. But yeah, Mo Salah, I mean, what a player. I think when he signed for Liverpool, there was a few eyebrows raised or, you know, they signed in this uh, Chelsea reject. Yeah, flopped at Chelsea, you know, he didn't he really? Play. Didn't get a chance, but did yeah. you know, when he did play, he didn't light it up at all. No, because Liverpool tried to sign him that, that, that January and um, Chelsea picked him, picked us to the post. But then, of course, he, he, he's come back and he's been absolutely incredible. I don't think anyone expected in his first season to score 32 league goals, the most ever for a Premier League season. Um, and then he's backed it up the next year. He's got top scorer. This year, I think he's only a couple of goals off again. So, um, yeah, fantastic player. He's really helped African football as well, especially North African football. Of course, when we think of African strikers, like you said, Trogba, so. Um, you don't don't tend to think of the North African yeah. countries, yeah, so um, yeah, amazing player. I mean, he had you know Egypt had Mido and stuff, didn't they? But he's not quite the same level as uh, as Salah. So yeah, he's in my team, um, and also that that pace on a five side pitch, oh, incredible, yeah. and that effort. Oh. <laughs> there we go. What manager have you got? Who have you gone? Who have you gone for Concacaf? Who's your Concacaf manager? Um, well, I was thinking of a few. I mean, American managers, you've got um, people like Bob Bradley and stuff, but, you know, he's, he's okay, not the best. So I've gone for Miguel Herrera, who is the Mexican manager, who's taken him to a couple of World Cups. He's full of uh, energy, very eccentric. He has the massive celebrations on the side of the pitch. It's a few funny gifts of him going absolutely mental when they scored in the World Cup. And I think that passion is needed for my five-a-side team. I've got five superstars. I need the passion. I want every goal that I score even you know even on five aside when you score about 20 goals a game I want him to celebrate every single goal like a madman <laughs> that's what I want so he's in there as my coach who's yours uh, well, I said I wasn't trying to be the obvious picks but I think I was again I was thinking about who do I want to blend this together who do I want he's incredibly passionate who do I want who could come on should there be an injury you know you don't want a manager who can't come and play himself if one of them players picks up a knock and so I've gone someone who gives his all again on the sidelines and is incredibly intense if you've ever watched any of the documentaries about him I've gone Pep I've gone obvious Pep Guardiola um, he just cares okay. so much doesn't he he works so hard you, if you watch the sort of the Man City documentary or anything like that the, the passion that he puts into every single match I think he would do on a, on a weekly basis in a five-a-side team, wouldn't he? And like I said, 
decent player himself. And so, you know, should there be a bit of an injury to that side, I'm pretty sure he'd be willing to come on and play wherever he needed, wherever he's needed as well. Well, yeah, if you if you saw him down goal now, down the five side, he'd he'd be the best player there still when he's on the pit. Imagine yeah. that, just like a a cool looking dad just running the show. <laughs> so good. What about um, you were weren't tempted by Jurgen? Yeah, uh, yes, I was tempted by Jurgen. I was tempted by uh, Chris Coleman, of course, legend who, who did oh, great obviously. things with Wales. I was tempted by my favourite Hungarian manager of all time as well, Bella Gutman. But he probably, I mean, five side didn't really exist. I, well, as far as I'm aware. Maybe there's a history of five side blocks somewhere, but back in the in the sort of the fifties when he was playing, and so um, I've gone for uh, Pep Guardiola because I think he would love it still. I, I I imagine he still has a kick about the knee himself, so I think I've gone uh, yeah Pep. Great, let's take a break and then we'll come back and hear some of the shouts that people have come up with. We'll have a think about some of that and then we'll tie that in and interestingly to a question that you've asked today that's gone down very well about some of the most underrated managers of all time. Perhaps we'll continue this ah, cool. discussion. Welcome back to the Football History Boys podcast. We're just going to go through now some of the ones that you've sent us. Uh, just before we do that, though, give us the ways that they can contact us, Ben. Twitter is at TFHBS. Um, we also have email, footballhistoryboys at hotmail.com. We have a Facebook page, so search us up. And we now have a new YouTube channel as well, um, which we've created a, a bunch of videos for. And I'm going to hopefully be creating videos two a week probably um, but yeah check them out as well great it'd be great to hear from you so let's have a look at some of your shouts then so my friend here john smith uh pub quiz buddy uh he's done his current players so everyone who's still playing uh he's gone for in goals matt ryan australia uh he's gone for then Kulabali, yeah. the senegalese defender the midfield of song south korea zaya song and um kevin de bruyne oh he'd be class wouldn't he flip and he's gone, the obvious, he's got Messi as well, but fair enough, very fair for South America. And for his manager, he was struggling, he went uh, Bob Bradley. <laughs> there you go, Bob Bradley, very common. And who else? Who else we got? Uh, we've also got Dan Chalk on Facebook. Dan Chalk said Levy Ashin yeah. for his goalkeeper for Europe. Carlos Alberto, nice. the Brazilian defender. Uh, Park Ji Sung and JJ Ococha in midfield. That's a delightful midfield. Um, we've that's, also... That's got Viduka up front oh Viduka with class wasn't he I love Viduka yeah and he's also gone for Bob Bradley too as his manager right we have uh, Manny Hawks has given us his team on Twitter he's got Mark Schwarzer in goal solid solid keeper there uh, Lucy Bronze in defence so nice. English uh, great English defender there Michael Essien in midfield yeah he was a great player he was yeah. wasn't he Park G Sung Always, always had a big goal in him, and uh, Megan Rapino up front. So he's got a, a good mix of um, men and women in that team, and uh, Maurizio Pochettino as manager. Good side. Alex Horsburgh, who's our Scottish friend, our Scottish correspondent. He's written a ton of blogs yeah. over on thefootballhistoryboys.com. Check him out. During lockdown, he's been very busy for us, but he's sent in his team. He's gone for Alex Ferguson, his manager. He's gone for Pele, Nakamura, and Cahill. And he's gone Weir and again in goals. He's gone the same as me. He's gone for Hope Solo in goals. Good side. 
Anthony Lewis here. Nakimura, what a player. Oh, superb. Um, Anthony Lewis, who is uh, uh, one of our old school friends, but he's also, he works for Wales Online now as a journalist. Um, Mark Schwarzer in goals. He's gone for Ryan Nelson, the uh, New Zealander, as his defender. Yaya Torre, I was tempted by Yaya Torre as his African midfielder, box to box. He'd be yeah. superb, wouldn't he, in uh, fantasy or in five side football. Um, Iniesta alongside him, oof, nice. And then uh, Messi up front with Bruce yeah. Arena as his American manager. I think Iniesta on five side would be unbelievable. I mean, everyone's pretty much box to box in uh, in five side, aren't they? But um, yeah, uh, Iniesta, what a player. Um, right, cloudy shirts on. Twitter, George Campos in goal, who obviously with those are incredible shirts used to wear. Um, Maldini in defence, Nakata in midfield. He was another good player, wasn't he? Um, that 2002 team. Uh, Ronaldo up front with Drogba. So he's gone for two strikers up front on his team. But yeah, Ronaldo and Drogba and Ricky Herbert of the OFC as his coach. Love didn't, that. He says, didn't know much about the gaffer, but figured this team could manage itself. Yeah, he's probably right. Fair shout. Uh, we've got another one then from Adam Bateman. He's also gone Hope Solo, a very popular shout, Hope Solo. Maldini, same as you, uh, as his defender. Then he's got Park as his midfielder and Weyer and Pele uh, sort of up front for him. And then he's gone for his manager, Bobby Clark. Struggled with the manager, he said again. I think a lot of people did struggle to fit in the um, OFC at times, uh, which is perhaps us disrespect him a little bit. There are plenty of great players yeah, who come from the AFC. Chris Woods up front, you know? Yeah, oh, he, and superb at the Championship and decent at the Premier League as well. Decent Premier League record, isn't he? Right. Um, Gavrinio on uh, Twitter. He's got manager Andre Postacoglu. <laughs> Good pronunciation. He's got Alisson in goal. Rafa Marquez in defence, Georgios Karagounis and Christian Karambu in uh, midfield, and Didier Drogba up front. That's a decent side. That is a decent side. Um, RG, who sent us plenty in the past, has gone at Bielsa as his goalkeeper. He's just gone a New Zealand goalkeeper. It's good research. Um, Maldini nice. at the back, Atiba Hutchinson in midfield, Ali Parvin as well, and then Weya up top. We've got another Ricky Herbert fan here. Carsten Pods in football's got Ricky Herbert as his coach. Then he's got Brad Friedel, Craig Moore, Lota Mateus, Diego Maradona, and George Weir. I keep, yeah, George Weir, very popular. He is massively popular, isn't he? Incredible player, World Player of the Year, wasn't he, 95? Yeah. Okay, final few then. Uh, John McMillan here. Asian goalkeeper. I, I, I confess I don't know this one. Uh, Ali Diea. Apologies uh, to Ali Dia. Uh, Maldini, he's gone for his defender. Maradona and Marquez in the midfield. Uh, Mia, the African up front. Love that. Roger Mia. And again, Ricky Herbert for OFC. And a final one for you, Ben. Ricky Herbert. There we go. Ricky Herbert, he is the man. Yeah. The man, the myth, the legend. We might do a whole podcast on him soon. <laughs> um, right, let's have uh, this last one then. This is from um, Schimia Lustrini on Twitter. She's gone for Christian Enler in goal, Chile. Lucy Bronze in defence. Rose Lavelle in midfield. Ji So Yun in midfield as well. And up front, uh, Asisat Oshuola from Nigeria. So she's got some uh, incredible w- uh, women's players there. Rose Lavelle, I'm thinking, she was amazing at the uh, last World Cup. She so uh, good. Ran, ran the show for the US alongside um, 
Rapino and so on. So fantastic. And uh, the manager is Federica Saket. Um, so yeah, I, mean, I think I've got the pronunciations right there. It says at the bottom, might as well give us the cup now. So yeah, that is a very good team to be fair. Yeah, it's a bit of, I mean, it'd give some of them a go, certainly, wouldn't it? I, there's, there's no, and that's the great thing about this fantasy um, five side thing that you can get the women and the men playing alongside each other uh, quite comfortably, really. Uh, superb. Okay. We talked about Ricky Herbert. He's um, become a, a popular figure of this podcast. Let's talk about, though, something that you posted today when you sent out uh, who are some of the most underrated managers of all time. We've had a massive response. Ricky Herbert is probably one of those now. <laughs> yeah. Who else would you say, then, out of all these responses we've had, and we've had a ton of them, over, uh, over 35 of 38 responses to this, the best managers of all time. Go on then, let's, let's have a scan through some of these shows. Well, the, the reason I posted it earlier was, I, I after Liverpool won the league last week, I've been watching you know a lot of videos about Liverpool and the history, whatever. Um, and there's always one forgotten man, I feel, in Liverpool's history, or, and in, in English football history, that's um, Joe Fagan, Liverpool manager, 84 to 85. And he managed two seasons, but... In the, in the one season, he won, a, he won a treble, he won the, the league, the European Cup and the League Cup. The following season, he got to the European Cup final again. Of course, that was the high school disaster, which I think had a big effect on him personally, so he didn't carry on after that. But he's a fantastic manager, and he, he is forgotten a little bit because he's in amongst Paisley and Daglish. Um, so I asked on Twitter, yeah, what do you think? Who, who's an underrated manager? So first up, we have Herbert Chapman. Underrated or forgotten, forgotten yeah. because it's so long ago. What's that? Forgotten, I think, isn't it? Yeah, I think that that's like the, I, just, I wouldn't say he's underrated. I think he is forgotten because I, just I've been writing about him lately. I, one of the blogs I narrated for our YouTube channel is is the one about the the uh, history of shirt numbers and how they come in in the nineteen thirty three uh, FA Cup final. But Herbert Chapman is someone who was an innovator, and whilst he was a phenomenal manager for Huddersfield and Arsenal, alongside that he was also very much a media man he was a man who cared about the image of a football club um he was a man who brought in sort of white shirt sleeves to arsenal as we see with the art the what arsenal have white shirt sleeves the reason behind that because yeah. he thinks it's better for peripheral vision and as you're playing you can see the white shirt sleeves rather than just the whole red shirts a bit of incredible innovator i mean he brings in tactical meetings you know the whole boards and having a before the match and saying about this is how they're going to play. This is what we need to do to counter it. He was a superb manager. So yeah, I think that's a fair shout. He's probably forgotten, isn't he? Yeah, I say yeah, forgotten, not underrated. Um, yeah, he, he's a suffers because he's he's pre World War Two, isn't he? Really, a lot of a lot of football is forgotten before that. So that's one of the reasons why we set up, set up this blog. I think to to tell everyone that there's more to football than you know, what got comes after the war or after 92. Um, right, let's have another one. Helenio Herrera uh, in Milan. That's from Chris Kelly. Now, we've done another video on uh, YouTube, a React video to Celtic in Milan in 1967. Helenio Herrera was the manager of Inter Milan. He, he won the European Cup a couple of times in the mid-60s. He was one of the innovators of the, uh, the Catanaccio style, that quite defensive, rigid style of football. And which a team, the team would go all out for a goal early on and then put the bus almost and defend. But it's a style which, even though it's very pragmatic, it does work, as seen through you know, Mourinho in more recent years or Greece in 2004. Um, but it is often forgotten, probably because of the style of play, I would imagine. I think if football romanticists tend to hark back to the teams that played the most beautiful football, like Celtic or you know, Ajax later on. 
Who else we got? Uh, I like this one here from Russell Chapman. Arrigo Saatchi. Saatchi was superb, yeah. wasn't he? Superb. A shoe, a shoe salesman, that's hard to say. A shoe salesman turned revolutionary. Uh, he never got the credit he deserved as he didn't play the game professionally. I think that is the case. Isn't it? I mean, it's something that Mourinho has always fought against, isn't it, in some ways. He was called the translator, wasn't he, by Barcelona when he was uh, at Real Madrid and they sort of disrespected him, saying you should just be a translator. You've, you can't play football yourself. But he is someone who... Uh, likewise with Saatchi proved to be um, that you don't have to just have played the game either so yeah Saatchi you superb shout right this is one from Adrian Tempany so this is he says Bob Paisley so Liverpool manager again I think it's another one I think it's because of what's come since because of the Premier League night to the Champions League football seems to have you know developed as new, a new history in which you know the greatest manager of all time has to be Ferguson because he's won it all but yeah, going back a bit further, Bob Paisley. I think if you ask, you know, you know, youngsters now, who is he? They probably won't know, but they probably would know Ferguson. Um, so yeah, Bob Paisley. And then someone's um, agreed with him. They said, "Excellent shout." It's strange how he never seems to get a mention these days. We were all in awe of him in the late seventies, early eighties. He won three European Cups in nine years and six league titles as well, and a bunch of other things. Yeah, so incredible manager. He had a few mentions actually. Yeah, I, I mean, he was up loads, uh, Paisley. I think he may be winning this in terms of most mentions. Uh, another one I liked, Clinician FC, Renus Michels. Um, I like this one because actually, you know, before we started doing the Football History Boys stuff, he's someone that I hadn't heard of. I, I didn't really know anything about Renus Michels until you start looking a little bit further mm-hmm. and digging deeper. But actually, he was a major, major part of total football. And, and uh, you know, in the 70s, that Holland side, when you talk about how good Netherlands were, um, you know the fact that they're probably the best side to never win a World Cup and all those different things he was at the forefront of that him and Cruyff and so uh, I think yeah definitely when you talk about underrated managers Renus Michels yeah absolutely total football Adam Bateman's one for Vic Akers um, of what, what a manager he is I mean he revolutionised the women's game in Britain really with that Arsenal women's team we've written about him in our new book which will be coming out next year yeah, he, he completely dominated. They completely dominated football, didn't they? There used to be a time when we were in school and everyone would say Arsenal women's team are better than the men's team. And in terms of trophies and success, they definitely were in that, that regard. And, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. they used to win the FA Cup every season almost. They won the quadruple, I think, in the first British team to win um, the Champions, Women's Champions League. So, yeah, what what a side. And he did the, he did an incredible job there. I think they, they had a few years after he left where they were quite the same level either so it does show that he, you know a lot of it was down to him right we got Vicente Del Bosque um, what do you reckon do you reckon he's underrated I don't think he is underrated I think actually I'd, I'd counter that with saying Luis Aragones is the underrated one of that Spain setup. Yeah, um, you know, obviously Del Bosque did incredible things, um, and I think he's rightly remembered as a great manager. But the one we talked about, I think, in the last podcast, actually, the person who started that off was Luis Aragones, wasn't it? The, the wise man of Fortaleza um, died a few years ago now, but was just, I mean, him and Del Bosque revolutionised Spain. As I said, I, I, I never really remember Spain when I was growing up. You know, late nineties, early noughties, as this this good side at all. But then by the end of the noughties, Spain were the best side in the world by far. And, and so I think um, both of those together deserve credit for what they did there. I quite like this one here for ELH Francis, Ian Dowie. <laughs> he's, he's, he's a very clever man, Ian Dowie. So we're always told. Um, right, we've got another one here. 
we got uh, Gustav Sebers and uh, Bella Gutmann, so two Hungarian managers. Um, Bella Gutmann, a man, man that you love, you've written about him for our the blog before. Yeah. Um, Kirst Benfica, of course, in the in the mid sixties. Uh, so they would never win a European competition again. They they haven't won the uh, Champions League again, but they've been to a lot of finals. So uh, yeah, they've lost eight times, haven't they? Yeah, they've there lost... we go. His curse is, is true for me. There's still another Incredible. sort of um, 60 years to go, or 40 years to go, that curse. Yeah, but I mean, they're not underrated by us, but I think probably by world football, both those guys are, aren't they? But we, we love that Hungarian yeah. pairing. Uh, interesting one, uh, De Kaiser, Franz Beckenbauer. Yeah, because I think, um, I was thinking this year, day, I was doing a bit of research on Johan Cruyff. And of course, uh, he was an incredible player, but also an incredible manager, uh, winning winning the uh, Champions League, to Barcelona. But of course, Franz, Franz Beckenbauer won the World Cup as a player, but he also won as a manager as well with uh, Germany in 1990. So he's a, a West Ham, sorry. So he's um, he's definitely forgotten. He's 100% is underrated as a manager because when you think of the great managers, if we ask the, our Twitter followers who's the best manager of all time. He wouldn't get a mention, but he'd, he'd be completely forgotten. Whereas a lot of these ones we've said probably would get, you know, the odd mention. We have someone's mentioned uh, Brian Clough. I, I don't think he's underrated at all. I think no. he's, he, he gets he gets a lot of praise. I think Peter Taylor, his assistant, probably is underrated because um, he was a one of the you know the heartbeat of the team as well. But yeah, I think that's a good little discussion there. Happy with um, happy with those uh, selections. Some excellent responses. Hopefully, we'll get a few more. Yep, great. Uh, as we said, make sure you check us out on Twitter at TFHBS and on Facebook. Look up the Football History Boys to get in contact. Okay, we'll have another break and then we're going to come back for Unpopular Opinions, TFHB style. Okay, welcome back to the Football History Boys podcast. Uh, something I want to do for you, Ben, you're going to quiz me in a second. But firstly for you, Yes or no answers, and then you can expand on them slightly, okay? So just initially yes or no, but then you, okay. can, you can expand on them. I want to hear what everyone else thinks as well, so get in contact with this. Nice, uh, nice Shoot. easy one to start off with. VAR, yes or no? Yes. Why? Why? Because because um, if history has taught anything in football, everyone always gets you know ratty about any new technology uh, coming in, radio, uh, television, Premier League, anything, and then it always turns out that people quite like it and it works quite well. Uh, yeah, I think it's just got to be ironed out the, the creases and I think eventually it will be fantastic like it is in rugby. There we go. Agree. Okay, uh, next one. In light of them removing the 3pm embargo because of coronavirus, uh, televise every game live, yes or no? From now on? Yeah, so from the new season, fans are allowed back in. Everything's back to normal, as you know, as normal as we can get it. But do we continue to televise every game? Oh, uh, I'm gonna say, oh god, it's really difficult. As a as a watching football fan, I'd say yeah, because you know, my team plays play in Liverpool, and I'd live in Cardiff. Um, however, as uh, you know, in terms of football purity, I'd say no because uh, I mean, people always get scared, don't they, that the, the gate receipts are going to go down massively if it's all on TV, and it, that's probably the case. 
I think you can show all the games in America or whatever and you'd be fine because you know, you're know you on another continent. But um, yeah, I'd say no. I think 3 p.m. games keep how it is. Keep the traditions. Keep got to keep some traditions of new. Yeah, absolutely. And I agree. I think um, you know the, the hardcore fans wouldn't stop going to their local club. But if it was raining really hard one day and, uh, you know, your local club were playing down the road that you normally attend or you could watch, you know, Liverpool Man United on the telly, you wouldn't leave your house, would you? You'd stay home and watch that game and, and that would yeah. damage that would damage local clubs. You know, maybe not the size of sort of Cardiff City Championship, you'd get a load of fans going, but some, some would. Some, if you, if you had to pay a big subscription for an annual TV pass or whatever, you may think, I may not get a season ticket this year, I'll just watch it on TV. So yeah, that would damage clubs, I think. Okay, um, is Ronaldo better than Messi because at least Ronaldo has done it internationally? Uh, no. <laughs> He's done it internationally, uh, sure. You know, kind of fluked his way to that Euro 2016 win. <laughs> um, Messi's got to the World Cup final, hasn't he? He's, he's, he's got pretty far. Um and at club level, he's, he's just a better player. Ronaldo's great, though. I think they're both probably the top two players of all time when they finish. So, But I think Messi is still a better player. He's a better goal scorer. He's a better passer. He's a better free kick taker. He's a better everything, really, except for the headers, probably. That's a fair point. <laughs> Ronaldo's superb, as we said. Superb. But, um, and and, and that is, that's always going to blight Messi, isn't it? The fact that he's not got that World Cup under his... Under his belt. That's, I'm going for him with that. Yeah. Okay. Um, do you enjoy football more supporting your local club or slash is football better in the stadium? So is football better in the stadium than out of it? Is it? Yeah. Not the question? Yeah. Um, yeah, probably. I think it is. I, I quite like going to watch uh, like a Wales game in the Cardiff City Stadium. I think it's uh, the atmosphere is brilliant. It's like an experience, isn't it? I'll be watch yeah. on TV, but you can you know turn off, change channel or whatever for a bit if you need to. But um, no, I think it only goes to the stadium because it's an experience. You look forward to it. You look forward to what you're going to go for, what food you're going to have before the game. You know, what, you know, what you're going to bring in. I think when I go to watch Cardiff, I like to go to Lidl. Uh, the supermarkets are available. Uh, and I, you know, get a nice focaccia and take it into the stadium. <laughs> and it's, it's lovely. Uh, you know, watch some good football, hear the songs, sing the songs, go with my dad. It's nice. Yeah, I think it's definitely better at the stadium. Yeah, I'm really missing it at the moment. Every Cardiff game is broadcast for season ticket holders, so you can watch it online, but it's not the same. It's more stressful in my eyes as well. I just live to, to constantly stress watching these last three games. It's been so much worse than actually just being at the stadium. Um, okay. No footballer from history is better than any of our top players today, i.e. footballers are better now than they've ever been before. Uh, yeah. Football, football, footballers are better now than they were before, purely because of things have developed, technology, the standard of pitches, the standard of training, standard of nutrition. Um, the modern day professional is a proper professional. If you look back to the 60s, 70s, you'll see footballers having a cigarette at half time, wouldn't they, or something. So I think in terms of general fitness and everything, they're, they're better now. Um, however, if you gave, you know, Pele, Maradona, the same level of professionalism um, that's offered now, they probably would be as good. Fair. That's a good shot. Is fantasy football ruining football? <laughs> this is more me. Um, no. I've, I've, I've tailed off that load recently because of the uh, the Premier League's gone a bit um, you know, crazy with the fixtures and time. But never know what game week it is anymore. So I've sort of forgot how to do it, but I need to edit that. 
thanks for reminding me. Uh, no, I think it's quite fun, Fantasy League. It's just a nice, fun experience. It makes those games that you're not really interested in become, you know, vital because you've got, you know, a, a £5 million left back, you know, that you need to get some points for you. So it's, yeah, I think it's good. Yeah, I was going crazy yesterday, actually, when then Bournemouth scored late on because I, I, the guy I'm playing in my head-to-head league has uh, two Newcastle defenders. And so I, I went mental when Bournemouth scored in a 4-1 loss because <laughs> it meant that he lost two clean sheets in the last minute. So... I think in that way is great. But yeah, I can, I can understand. It also ruins it a little bit because you can watch a game and be annoyed that none of your players have done anything. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so, yeah, so annoying. Lampard was better than Gerard because he won more. No. <laughs> no, that, I mean, we you could do you could definitely do a whole podcast on the Gerard Scholes Lampard debate. I think in terms of, they're very similar. They're both, they're both fantastic players. I mean, even though I'm a Liverpool fan, I'm obviously going to say Gerrard. I mean, I do think Lampard was, was an incredible player. His goal scoring record is out of this world. I think, I think Gerrard was a more, more complete midfielder. I think he was better defensively um, and he also was as good attacking. Um, I think Gerrard's earlier career, he was definitely, he was more of a deeper line uh, midfielder until Benitez came in uh, and then he came, you know, a bit more attacking. Um, my argument always is I don't think Lampard or Scholes could do what Gerrard did in 2005 in inspiring the comeback against Milan yeah fair shout both incredible players both seemingly doing very good jobs in management as well uh, certainly Lampard yeah, has, has done like a fine job two last two the Premier League saved English football uh, <laughs> we we need to do a whole podcast on this because through our research and writing our books, you know, I'm increasingly thinking, yeah, because I know football nostalgists will be going mental now. They'll be really cross because they say, oh, football was better in the day. It's all about money now. But, you know, football's often or often been about money. It's not nothing new, really, is it? And uh, I think the state of football in the 80s, although you can think, oh, you know, the 80s, we had those great Liverpool teams or Nottingham Forest or, you know, Villa or whatever. You know, fans weren't going to games anymore. The standard of stadiums were terrible. Um, football hooliganism was was massive all around the world, not just in England. Um, and I think, and even for things like Italian ninety, even though people think it's great now, it wasn't. But it was a catalyst for change. The bass rule, you know, got ditched or whatever. Um, three points for a win became more widespread. And I think, <clears throat> I think football since the Premier League has regained fan base it's just, the attendance has gone up massively um, the only thing is it's probably affected lower league football quite a lot yeah. yeah significant and I mean you look at the plight of people like Wigan who've gone into administration this week um, yeah. because of Covid um, and you, you look at the money in the Premier League and the fact that the, the finances there are so obscene the gap is widening certainly but yes did it say football probably in 92 it did Um and we will, yeah, we will do a pod about that at some point. And finally, then, Manchester United are a bigger club than Liverpool. Oh, you can't ask this to a Liverpool fan. Um, I'm not. I'm not these days. I'm not. I'm not. You know, a, a 14 year old in school anymore. So I'm not going to be overly uh, partisan and be like, "Oh, Liverpool are so much better than United because of whatever." Um, they're both massive clubs. I mean, Liverpool have now got the most cups of all time uh, in, in terms of um, English clubs. Um, I don't know if they're a big one. I may not have got more fans worldwide. They're a bigger commercial product, I think, as of as of right now. 
it's weird, you know, in terms of when you're looking at it, right now Liverpool are probably bigger because they're better, but, you know, the last 20 years, Man United were much better than Liverpool, but the 20 years before that, Liverpool were bigger. I think they're both massive clubs. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a silly argument, which uh, is, is yeah, for, it's common. for high school playgrounds, not yes. for proper football historians like us. Yeah. As a global brand, United are massive, aren't they? As a global brand, yeah. United are massive. But yeah, I think it is a silly argument. Final word, I just, I just thought off the top of my head, uh, should Gareth Bale leave Real Madrid this season, this summer? Yeah, because he, he's hated, isn't he, in, in Madrid? He doesn't get played enough. He's, he's, I don't want to see his career just fizzle out a bit, you know, yeah. but you're like a bit of a useless thing. Yeah, he's got a year until Euros. Oh, yeah, the golf stuff's hilarious. And like some of those pictures of him in training and like lining up golf shots and all that stuff like that. But you almost that's not what you want to see from him. Like it's funny. No. It's funny, but that's not what you want to see. And a year to the Euros, I don't want us to have a rubbish Euros where we draw three games or, you know, hopefully don't lose anything. Yeah, when, when I see a tweet about Gareth Bale pop up on the timeline, I don't want it to be about him, you know, Photo bomb in a picture by pretend to pick up a golf tee. I want it to be because Gareth Bale scored another world class goal, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he has to leave. Agree, agree. Okay, final thing before we head off then, uh, give me your quiz, guess the year. Okay, first clue is Walt Disney dies. <laughs> I think, I think it's 66. Yeah, I'm going to laugh. Right. <laughs> All right, I'm changing it. Got to do a new one. I'm going to keep this in, though. Because I'll tell you why. Because uh, I've been doing Zoom quizzes. The last movie he worked on before he died was uh, 101 Dalmatians. And that was released, I Thanks think, in 66. Brilliant information. Haha, <laughs> sorry. Okay, give, it, give me another one. Have you got another year ready? Right, take two. Uh, okay, new year. New year. Right, first clue is... The first in vitro fertilization of a human egg. Has this been on any Zoom quizzes? No. Um, oh, gosh. 54. Okay. Next one. Boeing 747 passenger jet makes maiden flight. I think that. 747, did you say? Yes. 77. Scythe paired to our scythe. Go on, say that again. 77. No, mm, yeah, 77. Okay. I don't know. Don't know. Right, um, next one. Australian media mogul Rupert Murdoch buys the sun. That's the newspaper, not the star in the middle of the solar system. <laughs> um, 80. Okay. Sesame Street debuts on US television. 82. Okay. Um, the Woodstock Festival takes place. Well, the first ever. Yeah. Woodstock. Oh, maybe that's earlier then. Festivals are like 60s, aren't they? They start. Maybe this was a later one. Uh, 78. Okay, man lands on the moon. Ah, 69. It was the 60s. Wow, Sesame Street's that old. Yeah, the football war takes place between yeah. Honduras and El Salvador. Ah, that was harder. I didn't realise Sesame Street was so old. Yeah, I'd make it hard. 
And you can and you can read about uh, the football war in our book, Football's Fifty Most Important Moments, available at all good open bookstores now, and also online at Amazon or Great Read or Smiths or Waterstones. Superb. Do check that out. And likewise, as Ben mentioned earlier, check out our new YouTube channel. It's what all the kids are doing nowadays. So, you know, we yeah. thought we'd better get on it too. Ben, you've been working incredibly hard on that YouTube channel. You've produced a whole load of content in the first sort of week or so of it being a thing. Uh, what sort of things can people find on there? So we firstly, we've narrated a few of our uh, former blogs and uh create a slideshow as well to go with it so pictures to go with the words um they're quite nice to watch just to put on the background we've also created um some react videos in which i watch some famous matches from football history so i'm watching the versus hungary celtic versus milan the battle of santiago and yeah i just react to them to see, see what i'm seeing but also stopping it to discuss the historical importance of these games uh, so you can watch them as well um and yeah hopefully a few more different videos will go up uh, and hopefully yeah let's start off some something quite new for us yeah superb it's, it's not it's not all overreacted like uh ksi i don't want to start a fight with ksi because he's a very talented boxer isn't he? but um you know it's none of this nonsense <laughs> screaming it's not that it's actual insight um one of my favorite ones the one you posted recently was the battle of santiago i mean that is it's a mental game isn't it that some of the challenges in there if you've not seen that have a look um and enjoy some of those those ridiculous challenges i mean it's assault sort of isn't it it's, it's effectively assault get a few punches yeah yeah uh, so make sure you check that out as we said as well check out our twitter at tfhbs our facebook the football history voice the website thefootballhistoryvoice.com and a whole load of new articles for you to read there been really busy over the last couple of weeks with guest blogs and blogs from ourselves too so please go and check that out as well okay thank you very much for listening to the football history boys podcast with me ben jones and of course gareth thomas goodbye